Robot Hub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing one of the long-standing controversial areas in robotics, ethics and robot autonomy. Professor Robert Williamson works in the Research School of Computer Science at the Australian National University. Professor Williamson's main goal is to reconceive the field of machine learning. He's taking a mathematical approach to ethics that could get us started implementing robots that behave ethically. Our interview order caught up with Professor Williamson at ICRA in May, where he was part of the ethics panel. He spoke to him about his logical derivation of a mathematical formulation of ethics and the cost of fairness. In making his derivation, Professor Williamson relates bureaucracy to an algorithm. And finally, he also shares how to work ethically. Hi, welcome to RoboHub Podcast. Hi. Would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Bob Williamson. I'm a professor of computer science at the Australian National University. Uh, would you tell me a bit about your background? So I've primarily worked in the area of machine learning. Originally, I was an electrical engineer. I did signal processing. That segued to machine learning. I've worked in the area of machine learning for some 28 years, developing kernel methods, um, would be the algorithms most people would be familiar with, and I've primarily focused on the theory of machine learning, um, fundamental limits of what is learnable, and at the moment I'm working on a larger task of trying to unify all of machine learning by taking a more problem-oriented perspective. Got you. And so today in the forum at ICRA, um, you were on the ethics panel. Would you tell me a bit about how you got involved in ethics? Uh, certainly. So there's two key reasons here. So the Australian government commissioned a substantial report on technology in Australia's future a few years ago through our national academies. And I was invited to be part of that and I ended up running it. The questions that we were asked were things like, what are the new technologies that will impact Australia? Uh, what will their effects be and what might government do about it? These are very big and broad questions. When you're working on such a broad stage, you have to take account of all manner of issues and ethical issues are one of them. So uh, that reignited an interest I had a long time ago. Um, the fact the report was published is what was the primary cause of me being here because the organiser read it and invited me. And then I do also have a, another interest which connects with my machine learning background, which we'll talk about later on, to do with fairness in machine learning. Okay, and now, starting at the very beginning, what is ethics and why is it important? Well, it's, it, I think it's a tricky thing to define in an abstract sense, but there's plenty of examples that you can give. Right. So let's, let's start with things about being fair. So we have a cake. There's three of us around the table, um, how much cake should you get, right? And many folks would say, well, there's an intrinsic fair division of that cake, which is that everyone gets a third of it. It gets more complicated with more complicated decisions. Um, let's consider 
an algorithm that is working out who to admit to a selective college and suppose it admits more boys than girls or more girls than boys. Is that fair? Um, you can think of the well-rehearsed trolley car problem is clearly an ethics problem, but uh, I think that one's much harder to pin down in the precise way that and the just, other two examples. Just to be clear, that's if a trolley car is about to hit someone? That's right, and it has to make a, quote, ethical decision, unquote, uh, about what it is, what it will do. Um, I think one way that you could try and give a definition of ethical prob- an, an ethical problem is that it's a decision that you are faced with that c- will affect other people in some way and potentially harm them. That covers quite a lot. Um, and most deployed technologies will have such questions implicit in them. Um, what we're seeing nowadays is that becoming a lot more explicit. Right? People are trying to ask these questions more precisely and figure out what you might do about it. Is there a good way of solving them? Is this way of solving them better than that way of solving them, etc.? Gotcha. And then so I'd like to go through kind of the key points of your talk earlier today and um, so you spoke just you spoke as robotics as a spoke of robotics as a technology yes and then tried to figure out kind of the ethical core that's right of robotics uh, would you start taking us through that argument certainly so the logic behind this was the report I mentioned earlier where we took a very broad view of technology Doing that report, one of the things we realize is that many folks have a, a rather narrow view of what technology is, like it's smartphones and electronics and so on. But, you know, things like buildings and clothing, even language can arguably call, be called technology. Um, now, the point of making this generalization is that there are some general lessons that you can learn from the study of the history of technology that I think it's reasonable to apply to some of our current problems. Right, so when faced with a question, what are we going to do about the ethics of robots, right, I can simply reframe that as, well, what are we going to do about the ethics of technology? And in particular, um, uh, with regard to ro- robots and robotics, when you conjoin ethics and robots together, the thing that seems to create the most anxiety is this notion of autonomy. Right? I mean, if it's just a machine and it's just doing what you tell it to do when you press the buttons, eh, perhaps it's not a robot. If it's somehow um, acting according to a much more complicated uh, set of principles, then you ascribe some autonomy to it. So this is why the intersection with ethics becomes interesting. So the idea that you could have a machine completely free of human control making a decision that affects someone else's life and potentially harming them. That's the dilemma. Okay? So in the talk, I said, okay, it's not just robots, it's technology, and the crucial issue is autonomy. And so then I drilled into, well, what is the concern with autonomy? And I argued that the the, the fundamental point there is decision-making. So ultimately you will act, but before you act, you make a decision. And, uh, you know, what is a decision? A decision 
in, in, in formal mathematical decision theory, a decision is a function from a set of inputs, an input space, to a set of actions. So when I'm making a decision, that's the way I model it mathematically. When I build a computer algorithm, that's the way I model it mathematically. So then the other ingredient I introduced in the talk was that understanding technologies, in particular understanding new technologies, people will often overfear the new and underweight the downsides of the past. So the example I gave was many folks are kind of relatively comfortable with coal-fired power, even though it kills 80,000 people per year, um, but are terrified of nuclear power, which averages about a three or something. It's some tiny, it's some tiny number because nuclear is unfamiliar, right? So it's the unfamiliarity is the issue. So I thought it would be fun to compare, contrast, algorithmic or robotic decision-making within an, within an ethical frame to an older technology. And that older technology is bureaucracy, right? The way we organize large corporations and governments, this is an engineered system. It's a big, complicated system that does information processing. It's made up of a whole bunch of parts. In this case, the parts are people, but they're all following prescribed rules. And people who study bureaucracies stress that the central defining feature of them is the calculability of the rules. The rules have to be sufficiently precise that you can execute them without thinking about it very much. So then the analogy with the robotics, I think, becomes clearer, right? And so then, um, you know, you can, you can go and ask the question, well, if we're not happy with bureaucracies and the decisions that they make, perhaps we might be more happy with robots or algorithms making the decisions for us. Now, I did not argue yes or no that you could do that, but I think it puts it into an interesting frame where rather than just saying, how do we consider the problem of the ethics of robotic decision-making, you've now changed the problem to how can you compare it to the other ways that you have of doing that. Once you've got a comparison, you can go and ask, well, which is better, right? And that was kind of where I was heading with the talk. Mm -hmm. Got you. And so with this comparison to bureaucracy, making decisions, you say that we can make decisions mathematically, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And then because of this, we can give those decisions to robots mm -hmm. to make ethical decisions or to make decisions that we have in advance determined to be ethical or we've set up an ethical framework right. for them. Correct? Um, essentially, right? So the... Once you start thinking about this, there's a slightly slippery point that came up in the questions um, today, which is if I design an algorithm and put it out in the field to make a decision, an ethical decision, who is making the decision? Which agent is making the decision? Is it the algorithm that's, quote, making the decision? Or is it me making the decision? The designer. Yeah, the designer. Um, now, behind the question is actually who's responsible for the decision, mm -hmm. right? So that's a more precise question to ask. Mm -hmm. um, 
And there, I think the answer is pretty clear. So the designer who designed this system is responsible for what the system does. Mm -hmm. He may not know in advance what decision it will make because he is designing a function, right, that depends upon a whole stack of inputs, right? It sees this situation, it will do this. It sees another situation, it will do that. But he doesn't know what situation will occur tomorrow. Right? No one does. That's why you've got to go and program it in the machine. So what this tells me is that posing the problem of who's making the decision is actually the wrong question. Right? A better question to ask is, can we think about the quality of the decisions? Could, say, a third party, a regulator or whatever, judge the quality of the decisions that we are making? And then the question, of course, then becomes which is the better way of making the decisions. Are we better off not getting ourselves prepared, not making algorithmic what we can make algorithmic and just let a person try and do it? Or are in some circumstances, are we better off trying to formalize things? There's two things going on here. One is there's all sorts of reasons why people can struggle to make good decisions. Um, pressure of time, um, emotional state is going to be one of them. Mm -hmm. But the point that I really wanted to stress and did stress today was having this two stages in mind that you've got a design phase and an implementation phase, it allows you to, in the calmness of the moment, you know, reflect and think, well, okay, what are the principles at, bay, at, 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 at stake here? Um, we can calmly work all of that out. And then tomorrow, in the heat of the moment, I just have to look them up in a rule book. And my point was that this is precisely how modern bureaucracies work, right? And they do work very well. This was some of the surprising literature that I read. You carefully consider what it is that you want to do. You set out a whole bunch of rules, and then it can be executed very rapidly. Um, so that, that analogy with the bureaucracy, the two stages of designing the rules and then executing them. I think these were some of the novel points I was making. Let's see, can you tell me a bit about a veil of ignorance when you're designing this? So I made reference to this concept. It's um, famous from the work of a philosopher called John Rawls. He wrote a book called A Theory of Justice. And he, the problem that he set himself the task to try and answer in the 600-odd pages of the book was how do you go and design a just society? What is justice anyway? And uh, he recognised that you're never going to go and get everybody agreeing about what is moral, what is right, what is the right thing to do. He was thinking of eclectic societies where you've got lots of people having different opinions but you nevertheless wanted to be able to get along, right? So he was looking at abstract principles that everyone in principle could agree to. So the veil of ignorance is this idea that you and I have got to sit down and design the rules, right? And in doing so, we have to forget who we are. I, you have to forget you're the interviewer. I have to forget I'm the interviewee. We have to design rules that we, either of us, would be happy with, regardless of which position we ended up in. So that's what he means by the veil of ignorance. So where you don't know your personal identity. And when you think about it a bit, you realize that, well, this, this does actually solve one of the big 
problems of designing rules, which is that if you know your position, then you can go and just look after your self-interest. Right? So that was his point. Now, my point of bringing that up in terms of the algorithmic decision-making that you might want to do is that it actually, it and variants of it, give you a way of mathematically defining what it means to be fair in a particular context. Right? So you've managed to transform what sounds like a, the ethical problem that a bunch of philosophers would sit at a cafe and talk all day about to something that a mathematician or an engineer could write down on paper and eventually code up in a computer. Right? And more to the point, that you could measure the performance on. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to try and explain all of the, the steps to this logic, but the fact that you can go from a principle like that to a concrete algorithm is not that different to lots of things, for example, in machine learning, right? Where you say, well, we've got to control the complexity of the hypothesis class and we'll then go and pick the, the, the hypothesis that most closely matches the data. That's a principle, right? Vladimir Vatnik calls it an inductive principle. From such a principle, you can derive algorithms. From a Rawlsian ethical principle, you can derive some algorithms. Are they the right algorithms? No. Are they the only algorithms? No. But you do have a structured design process by which you can go and do it. Mm -hmm. And in principle, for some cases, you can actually work out the optimal thing to do. The optimal thing. What exactly do you mean? So, so, the, so the example I've got was the example I gave in the talk, which is this problem of fairness in machine learning. So in particular, fairness in classification. So um, I mentioned this uh, earlier, I think, that we were considering an algorithm that admits people into college, and we now want to additionally impose that the same number of boys and girls get in. So you've now got an objective function, like a utility, and you've also got some notion of fairness. Now, this is a particularly simple one. And your objective function in this case is going to predict you want the best students in. For example, so that, that's, that's the logic. You might say we've got a limited number of places. We'll admit the students who will do the best. How do we know that? Well, we don't, but we can predict them, mm-hmm. right? And then statistical decision theory allows you to talk about the notion of a best possible predictor. Mm-hmm. So how well you did at school is a bit of a predictor of how well you'll do in college. It's not perfect, right? There's all sorts of other factors. So, you know, you might be correct 80% of the time, say, right? So 80% of the students who you predict will do well, will in fact do well. Mm -hmm. But now you say, no, we want more. We not only want to be able to do that, but we also want to admit an equal number of boys and girls, right? Now, you can actually pose this as a formal mathematical problem and... Uh, in principle, solve it if you've got access to the distributions of the data right, as a theoretical exercise. Um, and so that's the sense in which I mean you can work out the optimal thing to do. Once you've defined your criteria unambiguously and mathematically, then you can go and solve it. And I think that's that was the kind of the promise that I was getting at, or the premise perhaps, um, that... Uh, Perhaps by doing such an exercise for a wider range of ethical problems, you might find that bringing to bear the armory of mathematical techniques that's used in robotics, machine learning, etc., you might be able to solve some of these problems better than you had before, which is all we can ever hope for.
Of course. And so one of the big benefits of this would be, as you've mentioned, that you can look under um, at the kind of policy you're following and you can see exactly what was important in making yes. the decisions once they've been made. So if you admit someone or not, you can say, well, they didn't do well because right. this is what we're valuing. Yes, in principle, that is correct. In principle, yes. yes. Known distributions, yes. these kinds of things. That's right. What more does this mathematical approach to ethics allow you to do that you couldn't do before? So one of the interesting things that came out of the work on the uh, fairness in binary classification is that it does allow you to quantify the cost. So it's a simple theorem to show that if you've got a constraint, if you've got an optimization problem and you're at the optimum and you now impose constraints, it can only get worse. It can't get better because by assumption you were at the optimum. So if you'd made your statistical predictor of who would do well and then you impose the requirement of equal numbers of boys and girls, it will get worse. How much worse will it get? Because you, in an ideal world, you might like to say, but I want both. I want to have the best possible predictions and 50-50 sex ratio. Well, the maths tells you, I'm sorry, you can't have that, right? Which, how much do you wish for one and how much do you wish for another? So it's just a trade-off. It's like a regularizer, right? So you then get a knob that allows you to trade off one for the other. And the interesting thing about this is, so you'll find in a lot of the press, people will talk about algorithmic bias. Um, so there's no algorithm in what I'm talking about because we are doing it all theoretically and we've calculated the best possible thing to do. So there's no algorithm. And furthermore, there's no universal answer to this. There will be problems where the cost of fairness is zero. You can get perfect fairness and at no cost. There will be other problems where the cost of fairness is severe. For every sort of percentage increase in your fairness, the utility that you're aiming for will go down by an equal amount mm -hmm. and everything in between. And all of that depends upon the intrinsic structure of the data that you've got. And so that intrinsic nature, I think, is very interesting. There's no universal rule. And it's really quite analogous to if you're trying to choose a machine learning algorithm for something. There's no universally best machine learning algorithm. Um, what you might hear in machine learning conferences to the contrary notwithstanding. There just is not. So I think that's interesting. I think it's new and it's something that I haven't seen in the more traditional ethical literature. Mm -hmm. And so wrapping up, how can roboticists begin to apply ethics in their designs? So I think the first step is to move away from that awfully general and hard to define term of ethics, right? So it's, it's if I explain by analogy, if I said instead to you that, oh, well, I want your solution to have quality. I want a quality solution. Well, any sensible engineer will turn around immediately and say, well, that's just fine. What do you mean? better, cheaper, faster, pick any two, you know. Um, so tell me rather more precisely. Now, any given situation, if you are doing work that is going to end up out there in the world, the chances are it will affect people. There will be ethical concerns. Sometimes they will be minor and trivial. In other cases, they could be very severe indeed. So I think the first step is to go and figure out, as precisely as you can, what is the problem doing that in words is a good first step. 
then I think, you know, this is the this is the premise that I uh, argued that I've shown an existence proof. Here's a simple ethical problem which the community has worked out. You can make progress in this way. I'm not claiming this was all work that I did myself, but that idea of mathematizing things that seems a fine thing to do. The beauty of it is that you've now turned it into a language that can be integrated in with everything else, right? Because, you know, you're building this big complicated system. It's got to be reliable. It's got to be maintainable. The cost of manufacture has got to be like, you know, there's always all of these things. And now we're saying, oh, there's this other stuff as well. We want to be able to put it into the same spreadsheet, right? And we want to be able to understand the implications and the trade-offs. And there will be trade-offs, right? Which is perhaps a harder lesson to swallow for ethics, but if you can swallow the better, cheaper, faster, pick any two idea, then, you know, it's like better, cheaper, faster, fair, pick any three, right? Maybe, maybe it's a, a generalization of that. Beyond that general idea, I don't think there's much more I can say. I think this is not the end of the story. It's kind of the beginning of the story. The fact that uh, you are seeing sessions like this now, not just at robotics conferences, but at the machine learning conferences I go to. This is a really live issue and people are taking it seriously and progress is being made. And I think this is a fine and exciting thing. Thank you. And that's all for today. Next week, engineers, roboticists, entrepreneurs, companies, and end users will be congregating in Madrid for the International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems, IROS. We'll be covering some of the action at the conference in future episodes. Our podcast will always be free and ad-free, but to bring you the latest news from conferences such as IROS, we have to spend money. Last year, we launched our Patreon campaign, where listeners like you can support us with a few dollars each month. Your support at every level helps make the RoboHub podcast and gives us a chance to cover conferences like IROS next week. So thank you. If you would like to find out more about becoming a patron, just visit robohub.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Ethics with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.